Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. And we are here in the Condé Nast Podcast Studios. I've got Aaron Florio here, Laura Redman here. They are both editors for Condé Nast Traveler. Say hello to the people. Hi, people. Hi. And we are waiting. Any minute now, we will be joined by the illustrious Mark Elwood. He is en route to the airport. He's at the airport. He's stuck in security. You all know what that's like. You all should feel sorry for Mark. He'll be here any second. Did you call him luscious or illustrious? Illustrious, I but I have I think it was trouble. a mix of those two words, actually. I, I like both he's, for him. He's, it works. <laughs> they're both appropriate, <laughs> but not at the workplace. <laughs> so he'll be with us any minute now. My name is Brad Rickman. I even have trouble saying my own name. And our topic for the week this week, we finally got some warm weather here. So we are thinking about summer. And so we're here to tell you where you should be traveling this summer. You guys got any plans? You going anywhere? Yeah, I'm heading to Ireland at the end of June for a week with a family. We're doing a big multi-generational family trip. And we're going into Cork and Killarney. And uh, we're going to stay, you know, at those big manor houses with lots of lawn and pubs all around. And They're going to be children, many children? Many, many, many children. Many children. Okay. Yeah. I'll report back. Okay. <laughs> Where are you going? E. Um, I'm going to Spain, actually, at the end of the month, Memorial Day weekend for 10 days. Favorite. Oh. We're in Spain. Uh, flying into Madrid. I'll be there for about five days, and then yeah. I'm going to Ibiza. And then um, I actually have four days that... I don't have any plans for it yet because I was going to go to Granada or Cadiz, and now we're thinking of going somewhere else. So, Why did you decide not to go to Yeah, I thought you really wanted to try Cadiz. We still might. The problem is that it's hard to get there from Ibiza. I mean, it's going to take... I'm flying in from Ibiza to basically another resort town, and the transport between the two is not that great. You have to do a layover. So, I don't know. What's your Ibiza trip going to be like? So actually, you going to party I'm, or are you going to Yeah, chill? well. You know, it's always a little bit of a party in Ibiza. Usually for some people, it's a lot of a party. But this is going to be my first time there uh, doing it in a very different way. So I've been in the past, but I'm actually going with five children under the age of five this time. So <laughs> Laura will report back on Ireland and I will definitely report back on what Ibiza is like when you've got five kids under the age of five. That sounds like a better story, period. I mean, it's something I, I'd read I, and I will probably write it. I mean... <laughs> Well, I've confronted this, not to go too far off a tangent, but confronted this in different places. Some will have very lax rules about whether you can bring a baby into a bar or a restaurant or a music club because we test it literally everywhere we go with our little one-year-old. Can Ibiza, like, does, do they have strict mm. rules? Can you bring a kid to a restaurant You're or gonna a bar? You're going to want to make rules I, even well, if they don't you know, have you rules. You know what? Uh, we had, it's not my children. It's my niece and my nephews and um, my sister and her friend. And... What my sister has done, they have a service in Ibiza where you can pre-book babysitting hours, and so that's what we've done that's when we want to go brilliant. out. That's brilliant. That's genius. Ooh, Mark is we've here. Got Mark and with that, we have Mark Elwood. So I was going to say Formentera mm -hmm. is very close. I did the trip that you're talking about in reverse and flew into Ibiza from Malaga. Oh, yeah. So we went from Malaga to Ibiza. So we did that thing. It is kind of a pain. But Hi. Formentera is very easy and a great place to chill I, out. I was thinking Formentera or Mallorca. Yeah. yeah. Okay, those are both great. I think we Hi, got Mark. you, Mark. Hello. Can you hear us? <laughs> Welcome. We've generated some sympathy for you over here. Because, oh, Jesus. Yes, everybody knows how terrible what you've just been through is. Would you like to rant for a moment? Well, New Yorkers do, at least. <laughs> Not at three in the afternoon. There is no reason it should be that long in three in the afternoon. How it long is did it take inexplicable. You? Two hours. What? Two hours. Wait, I'm sorry, to get through security? 
No, no, no. To get to the airport oh. from next to the Williamsburg Bridge. So two hours for the Brooklyn bit. Not two hours from Manhattan. Literally two hours from crossing the Brooklyn Bridge to get into the airport. So, listeners, this is what we contend with. That's three in the three in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Can you see me or just hear me? We can see. We can, we can see. see you. Are you in like a little pod? Yeah, because it's where I've done the podcast from. Because it's a nice soundproof pod in the Virgin Lounge. You know, oh. it's in the corner. Oh my god! You have definitely recorded from that before, haven't you? I've heard mm-hmm. you speak about it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yes, okay. I have. Uh, it's my little podcast studio. corner. We haven't gotten to the official list yet. We're just talking about plans that we have. Oh, perfect. Non-professionally, are you taking any vacation this summer, Mark? Mm, Not really. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to Denver. I'm going to Napa. I'm going, but not like big trips, not like vacation, vacation. What are you most excited about for any trip that you're taking this summer? Look, I'm really excited because I'm going to Vegas to see J-Lo perform. So I feel like I'm getting the most Vegas of Vegas experiences in Vegas. Are you more excited because of last night? (laughs) No, I was always excited. This is a trip we've been planning for six months. I am with bated breath. But I'm also, I'm going to Napa and I'm very excited to go to Napa. It's been a long time. I'm going for the wine auctions in Napa and that will be really interesting. But if you're asking me where I'm going to enjoy myself the most... Really good seats close to J-Lo, singing along to everything. That's what I'm going to enjoy. I love it. What was last night that you referenced? The um, the Met Gala. Oh. And many folks, I, I know there are split opinions about this, but I did hear from some people that they felt she had won the Met Gala. Okay. I know <laughs> what not did you, that's a whole what, did, what did you think, Brad? You're not going to believe this, but I actually didn't watch the Met Gala stuff. My wife was dutifully watching it. I did not because I was providing childcare at that time so that she could watch the Met Gala. Uh, so I had to make a sacrifice. Somebody had to do it. Um, wow, you just fell on your sword, didn't you? Yeah. Well, it would have been nicer to fall on some of the swords that were there. She did. Nice transition. She did, she did enjoy some of the crusade gear that people were wearing, found that a creative choice. Um, anyway, okay, so anyway. summer travel. So we've got our own summer travel coming, but we also well, wait, have- Wait, where are you going? Where am I going? Oh, great question. I'm going to Puglia. I'm going to do the big family trip in Puglia. So same crew as went on the cross-country national parks trip. We're all going to go rent a villa in Puglia and also spend a few days in Rome. Where where are you going in Puglia, Brad? You have to go to my friend's hotel. Have lunch there. He'll take really good care of you. Okay. Send it to me or tell me now Um, because we're going (laughs) to... Yeah, plug the hotel for your friend. It's called Masseria Trapana and it's just outside Lecce. Okay. And it is a very high design hotel. A lot of the Masseria are a little folksy, and this is much cleaner and sleeker. And there's a great pool. So what's great about Masseria is that, especially if you have kids, because they're walled farmhouses to protect the farms against the invaders thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, they are self-contained. So your child cannot get anywhere but you can be a little more off-duty. So they're sort of the perfect family setup. Oh, that sounds great. So Maseria Trapana. Trapana. And it's, the website is trapana.com. Okay, that's easy. Okay, great. So that's where we're going to go, and that's, I think, the only summer trip that we've got planned. But we've put together an official list. Talk about burying the lead. We really buried the lead on mm-hmm. this. Of places that we are recommending that folks go this summer maybe we could start i mean we can just we can just give that list to people and i think that's great enough but maybe we could start with some of the domestic 
sure. um, places that we're recommending. And know, too, that we kind of agonize over this list because you just heard a bunch of places that we are all personally going that didn't make the list. And we could make it our where we're going this summer roundup, but then you end up with a lot of family vacations that maybe our families don't want us talking about. Um, there's a lot of great options here, though, and there's a good reason why we're sending everyone this summer, not any time of year, but like right now, these places are having a moment. And um, I'll start with Denver, which I've been writing a little bit about lately. And Mark, you are actually going this summer. Um, just got back earlier this year. Denver has a great food scene right now and a very strong cocktail scene. And it just has all these hotels opening that are making it feel more and more ready for a an influx of visitors. Now, what is the particular acceleration? Because Denver's had a pretty good food scene for a long time. I remember going there back in like 2009 or 2010. And it was not great, but it was good. But now it feels like not only do I keep hearing more and more about it, but also I feel like Denver is Brooklyn West at this point. There's so many people that I know who have moved out there because they feel like the city has hit some kind of, or the region has hit some kind of tipping point. See, Laura, I was going to say, I don't know what you think, but I think that, yes, Denver has had great food and drink. I don't think we're claiming that that's appeared overnight. But I think what has been lacking are very interesting hotels that kind of complete the chain to inspire a visitor to go there. So it's been great for locals. But I think seeing some interesting, cool new hotels and new neighborhoods pop up have sort of completed the appeal. So great cocktails, great food, already there. We know that. Oh, I just wanted a cool new hotel to stay in, and suddenly that's all happening. I agree. Though on top of it, though, it, there is an influx of new restaurants opening right now. It's kind of like a lot of the established restaurateurs are opening their second places. And, you know, there were something like a dozen that opened in the last year alone that all could have been top places any other year. So you've got Altrea and uh, Tavernetta, which are both by James Beard alum. And then the hotels that Mark is referencing have an interesting F&B thing going on. There's one called the Ramble Hotel in the neighborhood Rhino, which is short for River North. And Rhino is this kind of artsy, edgy neighborhood code for gentrifying. I don't know, Mark, what do you think? Very much. I think, you know, friends of mine who grew up in Denver said 20 years ago, Rhino was a really rough, rough neighborhood. Quite tough, the kind of place that they always knew, eh, you you don't really go in there for like a night out and it has been received a, a major kind of safety boost, but yeah, it's being gentrified. Make of that what you will, but it's definitely a neighborhood that 20 years ago didn't in, at all resemble what it is right now. Right. So you've got Rhino with the Rambo hotel, which is opening just opened and they have death and co, which is a, we're big fans of here in New York. They are having one of their first uh, non New York openings and they're kind of, taking over all of the food and drink and restaurant options in the Ramble. So there's the lobby bar. There's going to be a, a little, you know, six stool bar. There's a an outdoor garden. Um, and it's just really impressive cocktail culture on top of a city that already does their cocktails, you know, really well. But you've got New Yorkers relocating to Denver. I mean, yeah, they're to, pretty snobby. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is recommending Denver as a summer destination. There's a lot of proximity there. Mm -hmm. Can you guys talk a little bit about what you also get? So you're getting this great urban experience now that's getting better and better. What else is around that area that you can tap into if you should go out there? Denver is a lot like Seattle, Portland. You know, you've got Northwest cities and Central West cities that are just fantastic in the summer. Um, you've got 
it's kind of uh, the way I described it. I think it's like they've been in training all spring to get ready for bathing suit weather and they are ready to go. And when they go, it's farmers markets, outdoor movies. Everyone's on on bodies of water, kayaking. People are just outdoors all the time. And right outside of Denver, especially, is Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park. And there's just fantastic hiking, biking. Um, you have to be okay with the altitude change and don't try to do what you normally do. You have to ease into it a little bit. But it's absolutely gorgeous. And there's just that many more options in the summer. I would sooner go in the summer than the winter any year. I have to say, regular listeners will know that I'm allergic to the outdoors and I wish everything was concreted over just, just so that plants could be retained where they need to be but my first ever trip to a big city in america was to denver so it holds a great affection in my heart and i love it there i always say to people when you're going to thin altitude like that you're not going to sleep as well as you think there's nothing you can really do about it same thing happened to me in bogota so just remember you know bank on your sleep and it's a good excuse to stay out late drinking and eating at all those amazing bars but remember you're not the altitude change for most of us is a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, if you're normally like a five miler on a run, you're going to be a one miler and you're going to be embarrassed about it, but <laughs> just kind of accept it. So another one that we have on the on the list that I think is worth mentioning is Detroit, right? Detroit has been in comeback mode for, I don't know, five years now, something like that, six years, eight years. I don't know. And it seems like this year we're feeling like it might have actually crossed the threshold what is it about Detroit that we're really loving this year? Yeah, it actually is sort of similar to what Laura just described about Denver. And Brad, you're totally right. I feel like for the past two years, we've been like, can we talk about Detroit now? Can we talk about Detroit now? And now we're finally like, yes, finally this summer we can talk about Detroit. And uh, a lot of it has to do with Mark's point about Denver was... Um, you know, they've been rebounding and they've been rebuilding for quite a while. And there's been some interesting um, art regeneration and sort of urban renewal projects happening around the city. But they've just had this explosion of really amazing hotels. And that can make all the difference because these are the type of hotels where it's not just that now you have a good place to sleep, but these are the hotels that have become like pulse points for the locals themselves. So you've got hotels, like one of our favorites is the Foundation Hotel. It was on our hot list. Um, it's in an old fire station. And if you look at the building, it's really amazing. Like they've kept all the old um, arched windows in place. And that's where they have this huge, beautiful bar set up. And it just looks really glamorous and, you know, very heritage building, but also very modern. And it's become this place where the designers and the people that work in the galleries and the artists and people that are aiding this resurgence of Detroit are now hanging out. So there's a lot of cool, renewed energy there. People are getting excited about the city. Another hotel we like is the Trumbull and Porter Hotel, which is like an old motor, so kind of like nods to old Detroit. It's like an old, um, it was an old motel that they basically just redone. It opened earlier this year, I believe, or maybe at the end of last year. And but you know, Go ahead. Aaron, can I, I think you're making a really good point. When we were talking about hotels, I think hotels used to be assets that largely catered to visitors. And the new kind of hotel, that post-acification where the lobby is really a communal space for whoever is around, has meant that when hotels arrive, they're assets for the locals as well, and it gives you a bridge. So in both of these cities, what you've gotten is the hotels have become extra places for the locals to hang out in, but they also bridge the visitors in. They're sort of much more welcoming. That's a different style of hotel. And I think that's helped both of those cities, that, that approach has helped both of those cities really kind of 
bump up and that's why we're talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we actually have this thing that we say sometimes here, which is kind of like travel nerdy talk, but we say like hotel as piazza. Like, you know, this is where everyone in the city is kind of coming and hanging out and having coffee, having drinks. Um, that's where you see the nice cross section of who is sort of defining a city now in America, like quite often. It's a hotel. It's the lobby bar. That's just the new wave of hotels. The Trumbull and Porter is interesting because of what you were describing where I stayed there a couple of years ago, like immediately after they had opened when not all of the facilities were there yet. It was like a very early visit. And one of the things that they had not yet opened but were setting up that I was I would have liked to have gone back and visit mm-hmm. was this outdoor space that is kind of a communal hangout space that seemed very cool. And what they had done in taking a kind of classic motel space you know like there's a big parking lot it's in the corktown area which is a little bit it's it's close to downtown but it's not like right in the middle of downtown had left them with a lot of space and so they could have a lot of hangout kind of spaces because of the way they taste low but there's a lot of kind of like horizontal space for them to work with and it was obviously targeted toward young local people who want to hang out and like listen to music Mm -hmm. drink some beers whatever and they had very clearly sort of said we're going to try to make this place relevant not just for people who are coming from out of town but as a sort of social scene yeah i i think detroit is going to start stealing some of the crowd from chicago I mean, not immediately, but I do think some of the people that might have opted for like a Midwest city break to Chicago now might actually be excited about going to Detroit instead. I'm curious about any listeners, because I think there's an eternal battle about that. And Detroit, you know, historically had this amazing reputation and then went through some really tough times. And I'm curious if listeners who are booking that Midwest break, if they are feeling that finally the shall I go to Chicago or shall I give Detroit a go? Because I know exactly what you mean, Aaron. Mm. And I wonder if that really is happening, because I almost booked a trip to Chicago in the summer. It's a little too hot for me. I used to live in Chicago. Chicago in the summer is a little brutal. So it'll be the fall. You but are it, an again, English boy at heart. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Chicago is just Chicago in August. Kill me now. But, you know, I thought mm, maybe we should go to Detroit instead. So I think we're on the same page. I'd be curious if any listeners mm. have gone through that process. The other thing that it shares with Denver, and this just occurred to me, is that Both of these places have entrepreneurial cultures, startup cultures, where they're hiring a lot of young... Like, again, people aren't moving from Brooklyn to Denver just because. It's because there's a lot of really interesting new startups that are happening. There's a, there's a very vibrant culture. And I think that same thing is true with Detroit. Like you're seeing a lot of new companies since Shinola kind of started up and since a couple of those others, you've seen people attracted to it and the city's tried to make it easier for businesses to open. And that seems like a bellwether, right? Like follow the entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was actually at a conference where people from Michigan gave a big presentation and the technology and the app technology that Detroit has been investing in, in terms of like city planning, how to get around urban planning. It's like something like San Francisco could probably like take lessons from it. There's like a really big push in that. So I think you're right too. So getting a little bit less urban here, but still staying in the US, Ojai, which is a place that I think, again, interesting that we're calling this out because Ojai has been known and popular within California and particularly Southern California for a long time, but not so much outside the state. I feel like outside of that little corner, people don't really know about Ojai. Yeah, and Ojai went through a rough fall, like much like Northern California and areas around LA. There were just some awful fires that kind of ravaged the state. But the good news is that Ojai's 
back. I mean, it didn't. Thankfully, that didn't take long. It didn't. How, Mark, you looked into Ojai a fair bit. What's your take on it right now? I think it's interesting. I think Ojai has obviously. When you think Ojai, you think New Age spiritualists. It's basically, you know, seances and crystal healing, and that's what it was known for historically. I think the fires reminded us when we looked at it that now it's not just a hippie getaway the vineyards are thriving down there and although they did have some problems it was nothing like northern california they've rebounded faster because the damage wasn't quite so bad it feels like june is a big month for ohio too so what could you expect it sounds like if you're going to go there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening right in the very near future beginning of summer kind of what are some of those things, Mark? Can you give people an idea of what it's going to be like? It is, you know, there's a music festival, there's a lavender festival, there's a big lavender fields around there, and just at peak lavender time, which is kind of a romantic, incredible, just being suffused with lavender. There's a lavender festival there, and also those wineries are being spotlit in the local wine festival. You've got, I think, just take a moment, you think about it, there are 60 local vineyards, six zero around there who will be showcasing that's all, all there are those are the ones participating and then of course there are 30 craft breweries wherever you see wine yeah. you now see craft beer so there's a really kind of nice again it's that little artisanal it's you know it's a real cliche but it's that little artisanal moment is happening in ojai because it's a little a little off the beaten track it's a little overlooked and it allows people to do that it's a little more affordable how would you compare it to napa valley for example. The difference is, of course, I think we all love Napa because everything is flawlessly executed. You go to Napa, the vineyards, they have tasting rooms open every moment you need. There's lots of parking. It's exceptional, but it is very pre-chewed. There is no sense of discovery. You are trekking around where you're told. I think what Ojai has, Ojai makes Sonoma look you know, over-organized and well-trodden. These are vineyards that will have a little tasting room and maybe someone that you ring the bell and, and ask them for a, a sample. There's still a sense of discovery, and I think that's really fun. Ojai and Paso Robles, which is another Southern Californian wine region, get very overlooked, partly because Napa and Sonoma market themselves so much better. And you are getting Napa and Sonoma 20 years ago. And it's Southern California. You go to L.A. and drive up. Yeah, I am looking forward to actually going to a lot more of these smaller wine regions. And I feel like California, top to bottom, has great wine happening right now. And Let's remember, every state in America makes wine. Not every state grows it, but every state makes wine. There's a, a friend of mine wrote a book called American Wino, uh, a story of reds, whites, and one man's blues. And he went round <laughs> the whole of America drinking wine from a winery in every state. And some of those little off-the-beaten-track places, the stories alone are amazing, let alone the wine. On our way out of the United States, should we stop by Asbury Park? we got to stop by Jersey. Close to your heart. <laughs> yeah. Jersey girl, go on, go on. So we put Asbury Park, New Jersey, on the list this year. Again, another one of those places that has been around for a long time. And if you've ever listened to Springsteen, you know, you've heard about Asbury. But Asbury has gone through so many incarnations. And in the last decade, it has, you know, lots of people are moving there. Really, it has a really fun, young, vibrant energy, really creative. And the boardwalk has been totally reborn. And there's also, again, there's the Bellwether. There's a really great hotel that opened, the Asbury Hotel, which has a buzzy rooftop scene that, like, my friends, because I grew up in the area, are going to on weekends. So 
it's like you said, oh, absolutely. It's locals will go there. When I went down there, like the whole place was taken over by like young, cool people that lived either in Jersey or coming down from Manhattan. Yep. It actually felt a little Manhattan loungy up on the rooftop bar, which if you're from the shore, you're not even really looking for that. You're kind of like, oh, fine. You're going to go over across the street to the little like shipping container on the boardwalk that has a band playing like you're probably going to go hang out there but there's great options and it you know there's a nightclub right on the boardwalk that you know it isn't neon fronted it it is a cool nightclub with a line out the door every weekend and there are incredible little um stalls selling you know korean tacos there's a great korean taco stall there's these really indulgent crepes um you could just bop up and down the boardwalk and get a different kind of thing from one end to the other if you want a beach bar you get that I have to say, though, the one thing that I really liked about Asprey Park, like we're touting all these like in, like advances and, you know, the Korean taco stand and this cool, you know, new hotel, which is all great. And I know that's what's making people go back there. But what I loved is like it's just so Americana. Like there was like the mini golf on the boardwalk and like this weird water fountain. I, you probably know what I'm talking about. But it was like, yeah, this is this is where foreign travelers to New York should come if they want to tack on real America in a real Americana way. Like and I kind of love that about it. And do you know, do you know, Erin? It's funny because I was going to say Laura's biased because she's a Jersey girl, so she would say it's nice. <laughs> but I, I love the Jersey Shore. I think you know the Wildwoods, Asbury Park. When you are an incomer to America, mm-hmm. there is something so Americana. You exactly. said it, Americana, <laughs> not American, but Americana. Mm-hmm. What you want is not the rundown. Some of those those towns have had really tough times. So you go and it feels a little, it feels a little wistful. This doesn't. No, but okay, yes, fine. It's got the boardwalk thing going, and it doesn't have rides like Coney Island does. But it it is absolutely. It's America. It's Fine. like you're going to go to a <laughs> diner and have a piece of cherry pie. And that's all good. You know, like, I love that about it. But there's also like a great Mediterranean restaurant. <laughs> oh, listen to her. No, no look. Oh, there's please. a really good thing. There's a great brewery in town. You should also get off the boardwalk and go into downtown Asbury. There's excellent restaurants and bars. There's a massive brewery whose name I'm, I think it might just be Asbury Brewery. It's huge rooftop bar again. I know I'm biased. Fine. Well, no. And, you know. Maine has a version of this as well. And I kind of like, I'm curious about your point of view as somebody who's lived there long enough or, or been going there long enough to have seen the transitions. Like, because like in the 80s and 90s, I don't think it was like this. No, it was there, dangerous. did not have that reputation. You go back there now. So you've seen it through all of these different phases. And I'm curious, like, these guys are both outsiders, but you're not. Do you feel like it's really held on to some of those authentic roots, even though it's now become, you know, it's gone through this tradition, it's become a, a different kind of place now, but can you still feel that? Does it still feel like the place you knew? Absolutely. It still is just populated by locals. You know, the locals are the ones who are on the beach with their dogs early in the morning because they know the hours when they can bring their dogs out. The beach is beautiful, but it is not like slam packed like Seaside might be. It's low key still. It is not overrun. I think that's what I kind of love. I guess if we talk about it enough, more people will opt for the Jersey Shore over, you know, maybe Long Island in the summer. Plug. But let's let's hope so. <laughs> but you can still go the the Stone Pony and catch Which a show is there. The, that's that the, is classic. That's Asbury. the place where Springsteen right. got his start. I mean, right? I saw Springsteen there, and he still will show all up right, at small venues. All right. This is just really <laughs> unseemly. Now you're just showing off. All right. Let's leave the U.S. and let's go. We went very north. 
I was one of the things I was struck by about this list is there's a lot of Northern Europe here. So let's walk around Northern Europe a little bit. Iceland. Come on, guys. What is there new to do in Iceland? Everybody's been there already. We've all I seen it on Instagram. I'm still the only right. one. But what's, there is actually something new in Iceland. What's new in Iceland? Yeah. Well, when it felt like everybody in the world was going or had been or was still there or, you know, the whole world was in Iceland, it almost got a little bit just kind of too difficult to deal with. And it was sort of off-putting for a lot of travelers because everybody was at the same places. Everybody was where you wanted to be. Namely, it wasn't just off-putting for travelers. It was off-putting for Iceland. Oh, Iceland yeah. I mean, said, they, like, they, they, literally, they literally collapsed under the weight of their own tourism, you know. And, you know, they were the architects of this model and now they're trying to sort of... Um, re-engineer it a little bit and they've done a good job and they've opened up these new lodges and they're trying to basically introduce um, a new level of tourists that has a higher spend and just inherently brings the crowds down so one of the places that we swore we would never go back to because it was so crowded was the blue lagoon which of course is ridiculous because you're not going to go to Iceland and not go to the Blue Lagoon. That's why you go in the first place. But a few months ago, this amazing retreat called actually the retreat at the Blue Lagoon opened and it sounds so epic. I think it's like one of those few properties that pretty much everybody in the office has been fighting over who gets to go first, you know. Basically, they've opened this beautiful spa-like retreat, which is a hotel and a restaurant on this private branch of the Blue Lagoon. And so you know how you can have beach bungalows and they open onto the sands? Your rooms here just open onto your own private entry point into the Blue Lagoon. Wow. Yeah. I know, that's unreal. It's so, so dreamy. Can I, can I say, Go I am going to the retreat of the Blue Lagoon next week. Oh. And I'm oh, <laughs> we hate you. We hate you. But I, what I will say is, I first went to Iceland in 2002, and the Blue Lagoon was quite rustic. And when we had to prep to get into the Blue Lagoon, you had to strip naked, completely naked, because there's no chemicals in the water, in a giant sort of boarding school-like shower where there's sort of rows of, of people with no curtains, no nothing, just all kind of lathered up. And it felt a little unluxurious, to put it mildly. <laughs> It was a very strange sort of, it was like being in prison, but with a spa. And I think, and then, you know, Iceland did very well to get lots of tourists in and it went bad in a different way. And I think they're really kind of pulling back, having kind of grabbed some money that they needed after the, the financial crisis. They're recognizing that you can't just have as many people as you can fit onto the street. And I think the, the retreat of the Blue Lagoon is a big sign of that. And don't worry, I'll send you pictures. I'll send you pictures. Oh, that's great. I'm going to unfollow you on Instagram right before you leave. <laughs> yeah. Keep track. Thinking. You can pick him up again when he comes back. Maybe. Um, but just don't look at his wall. Um, also, also, Helsinki. Yeah. Uh, Give I, it up for Helsinki, somebody. Yeah, I, you know, I have actually been sort of championing Helsinki for a little while. I feel like it's the Nordic capital that gets no love, and it's always in the shadow of Copenhagen and Stockholm, and to a lesser extent, Oslo. And I feel this year people are finally starting to pay attention to it. Again, comes back to a great hotel is opening and it makes all of the difference. In this case, it's this hotel called the St. George. It's in this old newspaper building and it's got great artwork from Ai Weiwei and just, just a lot of cool, interesting, dynamic things happening. A really great restaurant called Andrea is inside as well. But, you know, that might be the excuse why we're going this year, but Helsinki has always had some of the best design in all of Europe. I mean, it's where Mary Mecco comes out of. It's got some of the greatest architecture and I think outside of Europe, it hasn't been that recognized for that. So it's a good excuse to go and check that out. Plus, the Finns gave us the sauna 
And what Finns do better than anybody are these great sort of lakeside sauna retreats. And in the past few years, Helsinki has taken that, like Finnish national pastime, and they've modernized it and they've moved it into the city. So it's actually amazing. If you go to like the waterfront in Helsinki, and this is a city built like all over the water. I think Finland has more lakes than any other country in Europe. So there's just water everywhere. They have these really cool blonde timber, like modern saunas everywhere. Mm. And people are like stepping into the lakes and then stepping into the saunas right in the middle of the city. Wow. Do you know, there's a great sauna downtown that we talk about called Lulu. Yes. That actor Jasper Parkinen, who's in Vikings, he built and he owns. And I interviewed him about it when I wrote about it. Do you know what Lurly the word is? I, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrongly if any Finns are listening. Do you know what it is? We're going to spell the, it real what, quick. L-O-Y-L-Y. Can I guess? But with Yes, go and guess. Sorry. I, and this is a complete blind guess. I know zero Finnish apart from the word sauna. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess it means cozy. You mean like hygge? Like, like, yeah, like, like, a, like, like is it the Finnish hygge? I'm going with appetizer. <laughs> Brad, Brad, what do you what do you think Lurly means? <laughs> Big? Naked. Does it mean naked? <laughs> naked bracelet. No, do you know what it is? It's the Finnish word for the steam that comes off <gasps> the coal when you put water in a sauna. That's pretty so cool. So there's actually a word for that. The sort of, of course steamy bit of the of the sauna. That's, That's very cool. I love that. That's awesome. But look, I mean, okay, so these are all great, but there are many other reasons to go as well, right? Like, yeah. like just not new. They're, 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 because I think Helsinki, the reason why I'm saying give them a shout out, Aaron, is because I don't think, I do think that this has been the kind of place that is not so well known, right? Mm. People have been talking about Copenhagen a lot, but mm-hmm. not so much Helsinki. And, you know, like you had me at Sibelius, right? Like there's a Sibelius festival. Like yeah, how well, great. Jan Sibelius obviously is, he's probably the most famous Finn. I, um, I have, don't know, but definitely uh, probably. for there's me. There's another really famous Finn out there who's like, ah, it's me. But <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> <laughs> he's, totally, he's totally the best. I mean, he's Jan some Sibel- of the best classical Jan Sibelius, <laughs> you know, is one of the, um, obviously one of the great masters of classical music and they have a big festival for him every summer and they also have a Jan Sibelius house museum I think it's his house and I think it's a museum and it's just outside of the city and that's only open during the summer um, so that's also a nice thing you can tack on to your trip to Helsinki you can do a, a free stopover in Helsinki if you fly Finnair and there might be a lot of people flying Finnair if they're heading to the Baltics if you're heading to St. Petersburg en route to the World Cup maybe this summer yeah but this year in particular we were kind of debating whether to include a few other states in the region or if we should mention St. Petersburg or Estonia which is celebrating 100 years with festivals all over the country. I think there's a lot going on in that region this summer and you you could craft a little road trip probably out of it too. And they have a stopover program? Yes, I was going to say Finnair has a stopover program. And what I was going to say is that it's interesting because you would think that flying into St. Petersburg, there would be better airlift than there is. And the reason is that Russians need to get a visa to go to Europe, to go to the Schengen area. And most people from St. Petersburg will get Finland to issue them a Schengen visa because it's five hours drive from St. Petersburg and will validate it. You have to validate it in the first country, the country that issued it and then fly out of Helsinki. So Helsinki has become the secondary airport for St. Petersburg and people transit through it for that reason. Okay, that's great. Let's throw a classic in there because there's a reason for it. Copenhagen, which we were just... Dissing. Well, yeah. not really. I mean, there's nothing bad. Not, we're sorry, just saying, like, <laughs> we're just saying, like, hey, give some attention to Helsinki. But Copenhagen, there's a really good reason to go there this year, which is... 
Noma. Oh, Noma. If you can get a reservation. If you can get a reservation. Noma (laughs) 2.0. I think this is worth talking about. Just There are 20,000 people every day trying to get a reservation at Noma. Like, nerdy restaurants rule. Can I tell you what you can do as an alternative if you can't get that reservation? Do it. There's a little insider secret. Um, Noma used to have a research arm, which is now called the Nordic Food Lab, which was on a boat outside the original site. And it was then moved to the University of Copenhagen. And it's where they research a lot of their new dishes. It's now kind of an academic area. And it's run by this very charming Italian called Roberto Fiore. And as a fundraiser for the Nordic Food Lab, they will often host dinners in the lab. And what they're essentially doing is showing you works in progress of the Noma menu. They're linked with Noma, but they're sort of like the nerdy academics. So you could get, you know, grasshopper fritters or whatever. So if you can't get into the Noma reservation system, see if Nordic Food Lab is doing a dinner when you're there and you'll sort of see behind the scenes. That's an awesome tip, actually. That's a really yeah, smart that's tip. A great you know, you know another good thing is that there's so many Noma alumni all oh over Copenhagen. God. Oh yes. That have opened, you know, over the world. Well, over the world, but just if, if you're looking at Copenhagen specifically and you've just missed that booking, like 108 CPH is uh, I think is Roberto Fiore part of that? I, I I know some of the Italians that used to work in um in Noma opened that. Also Rosario Sanchez, who has Ihadi Sanchez, has a great like taco food truck on the streets. So there's a lot of Noma happening in non-Noma places in Copenhagen. Yeah, it's the Noma trickle-down mm-hmm. effect. There's based, yes. there's Broer. Based, yeah. You could food crawl around Copenhagen pretty successfully. And, you know, we talk about the meal you won't forget. You could probably go there and have three or four meals you'll never forget yeah. in one, and also, one city. Don't forget that what people don't realize is that Noma moved to a weird bit corner of Copenhagen on the north, sort of east of the right. city, which is the docks called Refshalloen. I've practiced say, saying say that. that again. Refshalloen. I love it. I had a Danish people school me in that. And mm-hmm. is essentially sparking a regeneration of the whole area. So there's a theater there, there is a craft brewery, there is La Banquina, which is a really cool kind of funky cafe kind of place. There is a, an artist studio called Skabelon Loftet. There is a beach club where you can go swimming in the water called Halvandet. There's a whole other kind of scene in the area that Noma is in. So again, if you can't get into Noma, that area is the coolest part of Copenhagen, and that's saying something. Tell me about the canals. What would you say, lady? I mean, when I first went to Copenhagen, I was worried that it would be like Venice, where the canals would have bridges that you had to kind of schlep up and over, and I was supposed to be cycling everywhere. And actually, it's flawlessly designed. So yes, there's all the water, but you can cycle. You just... you just, The big appeal of Copenhagen isn't the water, it's that it's the most cycling-y city I've been to outside of Amsterdam. They're very, very particular about the rules of cycling, and I've never been shouted at as much. Or rather, the Danes don't shout, just disapproved of very visibly (laughs) for my poor cycling etiquette. Um, But, you know, you've got to join in because cycling around Copenhagen is a real joy, and I think it's the loveliest way to get around, just the loveliest. Okay, St. Moritz in Switzerland. We're heading south now. I like this a lot. Aaron and I were talking about it earlier this week in the office. The Swiss franc and the U.S. dollar are on par for one of the first times in a while. Mark just made a face. Did you know? Did you know? No. Yeah, yeah I know. I didn't know that- 
That's, in, that's insane. Yeah. Right. How can that happen? I, I have to be honest, you know, I've been to Switzerland before and one thing that has stopped me from going back is it's just so expensive because the Swiss franc always has such high value against the dollar. So like when I learned that too, I was like, oh, well now I'm paying attention and now I'm like reimagining how I'm spending my summer. Right. Because these wonderful places like Semeritz and the lakes of Geneva, you talked about Lake Lucerne too at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, these are places you might be heading to, especially the mountains in the winter. But if you consider Semeritz, in the summer. I mean, there are gorgeous hotels that will likely be, you know, not half the cost, but third of the cost off. Compared to the winter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they go down by, I think, about 20% compared to what you're going to pay for them in the winter. And the winter is still the high season in a place like St. Moritz. And St. Moritz is like Europe's winter playground. But in the summer, the snow goes away and you have these beautiful hiking trails and you have lakes everywhere. And another thing Laura and I were talking about is it's such a nice and more affordable alternative to Como or Garda, which actually are not that far away. And in fact, from St. Moritz, people do do day trips to go to Como and to go to Garda. So this is like a really nice way to sort of tick the boxes that you get there, but maybe spend a little bit less. Is it to on do Lake it. Geneva? No. no. Um, it's a different part of Switzerland. I mean, Geneva's west. It's towards uh, France. Okay. And then St. Moritz is actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, you probably know the geography better, but St. Moritz is German-speaking Switzerland, but it's not too far north of the Italian border. Exactly. St. Moritz is perfectly positioned for any rich person in continental Europe to get there easily. <laughs> that's that's why. I would, always, I would always say, I did a story for Traveller three or four years ago about the wine regions of Switzerland, which are often overlooked. Near the Jura Mountains near Geneva, if you're there in the summer, if you're going to Switzerland, Watch Valley, which is where you can go and see your watches made, is actually an amazing wine region where you can get wines made from grapes that we don't know. So Chasselas, which is really a table grape, it's one of the green grapes you'd eat with cheese, the Swiss turn into a beautiful light kind of crisp white wine that they eat with fondue a lot. So if you're in Switzerland in the summer, you can go to its vineyards, which again, we were talking about Ojai. Who knew that Swiss wine was so delicious? It's largely because they drink most of it themselves and they don't let other people get to it. Yeah, so I, it doesn't make it across the border. I second Mark, it is really good wine. It's better than you, ex- I mean, you'd expect it to be decent. It's by France and by Italy, but it's really good. All right, I'm gonna hit the gas. The Isla Holbosch, can you yeah. clue me into that? Sure, so Isla Holbosch is where I hope to make my next Mexican vacation. Um, it's a really cool little island, it's kind of boho. We did a nice piece on it in the magazine a few months ago. You can find it on cntraveler.com. But it's just off the coast of Cancun, but it's kind of like always been exempt from all of those excesses that you get in Cancun. I think Undine's piece kind of alluded to this, that it's kind of like Tulum without the ruins, Mm -hmm. but also back in the like 90s, you know, before it got kind of discovered. 100%. It's like the Tulum before people started knowing where Tulum was on the map, you know, or at least before the masses started to know where it was on the map. But uh, people quite often discard the Caribbean and discard Mexico during summer because they think it's too stormy and of course hurricanes blow through but you know the hurricane path is only in a select part of that region and Isla Holbosch actually has really good weather during the months of July and August surprisingly it isn't their peak season so you're going to get better deals Uh, there's a beautiful new hotel that opened yeah the Punta Calisa yeah it's Calitza Calitza 
Kalita. Erin, yeah. why did it stay? Why did it stay so sort of off radar? Because it's not that far off the coast. It's not too hard to get to. Why do you think it didn't get subsumed in so much of the development of sort of Quintana Roo and that, and that whole area? Why did it manage to kind of hold back a little bit and then stay a little bit kind of old school Mexico? That's pretty. There's a nature preserve there, right? So I don't know that it's necessarily. A, even a, a resort destination ever uh, for locals. Yeah, right? I think... It's kind of hard to get to, isn't it? It's, well, it's a little hard. I mean, once you've... It's an extra jump. Once yeah. you've already made it down there, you might want to just sort of stop once you hit Cancun and, and you can hit the road. You have to, you know, again, cross the sea to get there because it's an island. But yeah, that area that... I think there's a reef, which is a nature mm-hmm. reserve. I'm not entirely sure of, like, the development, but I, I bet that does impact how much you can develop on the island um, and how much traffic can actually get out there. Right. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm sure it has some type of an impact. It, I mean, it is small. It's 26 miles, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, how big is Nantucket? It can't be much different from that. And I think, you know, if you already have Cancun doing all the excesses, like you were saying, it's got the golf, it's got the resorts, it's the two-for-one margarita nights, it's mm. the traffic. Um, a lot of people want that, too. They want the buzz. They want the all-inclusives. Mm. And it, this might have felt a little too hippie. Yeah, I mean, there is a special type of traveler who actually isn't looking for the crowds. I mean, and, and they are always full in the minority by definition. So I think that's helped it preserve itself. And I think the fact that Tulum kind of was on this path for so long of like appealing to that boho jet set group that, you know, had the good taste and they didn't want the crowds and there's also the ruins. I think that just like absorbed all of the people that may have otherwise gone to Holbosch. Yeah, I think the fact that Tulum is on the mainland is important. I think the fact that it has the ruins is important. I think the fact that it, you know, it's kind of a direct line from the Yucatan, so you can kind of do that little circuit. And I think it's harder to get to Hobosh, and it's harder to create multiple reasons for going there. You're really going there to get away, mm-hmm. and that's not what a lot of people are going to that region for. Well, mm-hmm. you think about the Azores oh, off, the, mm-hmm. off the coast of Portugal, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Azores are pristine and a wonderful destination, but they're not on crap. They're not touristed by locals either and sometimes it's just a little too hard Mm -hmm. to get there yeah Mm -hmm. okay we'll come back to the u.s real quick and talk about denali well you know like we just said like isla holbosch by definition will always have fewer crowds just because of where it is so will denali basically um Where's Denali? So Denali is a national park in Alaska. It's uh, Denali Summit is the highest mountain in North America. And they've just opened this beautiful new chalet called the Sheldon Chalet at 6,000 feet up the mountainside in Denali National Park. And the thing that sort of blows my mind about this place that I just can't stop thinking about is uh, scientists and researchers believe that this is in such an isolated part of the world that maybe only about 100 people in the history of mankind have ever been to this part of the world because of just the terrain and how difficult it was to reach, which to me, I just think is fascinating. That's amazing. Isn't that incredible? That's so awesome. It's so awesome. So they've opened this beautiful chalet, which of course is, you know, beautiful steaks and beautiful throws on your bed and, you know, lacks absolutely no luxury um, in the material sense. But the true luxury is that sort of luxury we're always chasing, which is the bragging rights trip, getting there before anybody else, maybe being the only person to ever go that you actually know, which is what I reckon just makes this place so awesome. So basically, you're going to go to this chalet, you're going to spend your days helicoptering around Denali Park and reaching areas that people haven't been able to reach in the past. You're going to 
soak in natural hot springs and see like the beautiful, there is a term for it and I can't remember what the term is, but there is sort of a color palette that the snow makes with the sun at that angle that makes everything turn pink and purple and gold all around Specific you naturally. Specific to that place, that yeah, part of the world? Yeah, it's sort of like a, like a, the sort of an equivalent of a microclimate, but uh-huh. it's like a micro palette of, of sorts because of like where the earth's energies and colors and everything are oh, falling. Cool. Yeah, it sounds so incredible. And you can also see woolly mammoths preserved in, in the... Um, I know, it's like the trip For of real? a lifetime. Yeah, they have woolly mammoths that have been preserved in the ice banks up there. That's insane. So in the same day that you're going to soak in these hot springs... Visit like pockets. real woolly mammoths. Like, like you can yeah, see. I can't. I you know how there are parts crazy. of Siberia where they're fully preserved. I'm not sure how preserved they are up here, but they will take you to the ice banks where you can see the woolly mammoths that have just been you know sort of fossilized or just preserved because of the ice. I'm not sure the condition of them, but isn't that incredible? You know, the other thing that you mentioned in the write-up that we didn't talk about with Helsinki and Copenhagen, but in the summertime, it's light until very late, right? And so your days really get stretched out. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So you can go and basically have, you know, the midnight sun all of summer, and the days are going to be really light, and that is what adds this extra special element of the palette, like the natural palette that you see. It's because of the midnight sun. But... Of course, if you go in winter, which I think could be even more incredible, you'll see the northern lights. So it's nice to go in summer. You're probably going to be able to be outdoors a lot more in the summer. But the winter also adds like a really awesome hit to be there. Yeah, you're not. But I just this is this to me sounds like one of those kind of incredibly special experiences. I can't believe how did they get permission to build that there? You know, so like how did so they so the people that own it and that have built it. They own another spot in Denali, which is a little more accessible, both in terms of price and in terms of the amount of people that can get there. And they've owned, I think this is a privately, uh, again, don't quote me, I think this is a privately owned section of Denali Park, which the government kind of regulates, but the Sheldon, I think it is the family's name is Sheldon, they have permission to open up following government regulations. And so they've done that. It's like the Awani or the Majestic, I guess it's called now, in Yosemite. I don't know exactly what the arrangement is, but, you know, they have a piece of land within the national park that is a sort of privately run enterprise. Yeah, it's like having a private concession within a greater national park. exactly, exactly. All right, Mark, where are you headed right now? Well, I'm actually at the airport, uh, as you might hear some background noise, because I'm flying to the UK, but I'm flying somewhere in the UK that even as a British person felt beyond the pale, sort of over the horizon. There's a little cluster of islands just off the tip of Cornwall. So basically, the foot of England is kicking them into the Atlantic. And they're the Nantucket of Britain. They are standalone, stand apart. They're called the Silly Isles, but with a C. S-C-I-L-L-Y. C-I. And they have always been very difficult to get to. And they've relished that reputation in many ways. Prince Charles has a house in the Sillies because it's part of his holdings as, as the Duke of Cornwall. It's one of his many titles. <laughs> the Duchy of Cornwall. He draws income from the farms there, that kind of thing. And they have relished their their disconnection. And there are ferries, but the water is quite really quite choppy. I mean, you've got to have a really strong stomach. 
This summer, they're restarting helicopter service from Penzance, which is one of the mainland towns that's closest. So you can actually whiz over to the main island. And then once you're on St. Mary's, the ferries are reasonably easy and the water's quite quite gentle to ricochet around the five major islands. And it is, if you think Nantucket is gorgeous and rustic, this makes Nantucket look like a bit of Brooklyn with a view of the water. <laughs> <laughs> the weather is different there, right, than other parts of England. Something to do with the Gulf Stream? What? what, what? So if you look at um, – I've talked before about my, my mother's family is from the Outer Hebrides, which is in Scotland. It's on the west coast of Scotland. And although it's very far north, it is surprisingly warm because the Gulf Stream runs down that part of the UK. So the Outer Hebrides are much warmer than they should be, given that they're sort of saying hello to Iceland if the weather's good. And the Scillies also sit on the Gulf Stream. So they will usually have quite Mediterranean weather. And on Tresco, which is the sort of of toniest of the five islands, there is a garden, there's an incredible botanical garden that most gardeners say is the best one after Kew, which is Britain's headline-grabbing garden that's just reopening in London. it can keep many plants on Tresco that can't grow on the mainland because it's so much warmer. So it's not tropical, don't get me wrong, but for Britain, it's hella warm. And it's very exciting, although I must admit, I checked the weather forecast, and the week that I'm there, New York is warmer than the Sillies, and it feels really, really unfair. Are you going to get rain? What's the, is it temperate? What's it like? I'm going to get rain this week, apparently. I think the weather's very changeable. I'd be curious if we have any listeners who've been to the Sillies. I'd love to hear about it. Please tweet me because I'll I'll still be there and let me know your favorite parts. It's a it's a it's a part of Britain that is very happy to be considered a little stand apart. And I think there's something very interesting about visiting something that is of a culture that is its own culture as well. So, of course, they all speak English. But if you say to them. You're from the Isles of Scilly. Is it like Cornwall? You might as well ask them, are they French? Of course it's not like Cornwall. It is its own place. So it's a real, I think it's a real bucket list thing for me. I feel very lucky. Yeah, I have to say, I've always wanted to go to the Isles of Scilly. I've always pronounced it Scilly because I have no idea. Scilly? Silly? Silly. 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 I mean. Um, You know, one thing that like totally won me over is when I saw photos of people uh, with horses and buggies around the beaches. Like, not that they're Amish and they're trapped in time, but there is something like rustic and just charming and just a different pace of life. That is still. How did you, how did you hear about the Sillies, Erin? Was it when you were living in Britain or was it through? No, I actually think the first time I heard about them was when I was living in New York many years ago. And then when I was living in London, I don't think they ever even came up in conversation. Like, it's not something that people talk about in England. It's still, I still am always very surprised to remember that they exist because it's not something that people even in England reference or go to. Yeah, it it really, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why I've always wanted to go because it feels... It feels, feels like, magical. Well, there's, it something does, weird, yeah. there's something magical it, it about really. it. Well, they, they feel like brig, real-life Brigadoon. Yeah. They're sort of shimmering into view every you know four years. Yeah. And if you miss that window, mm-hmm. you can't go. And Except they're not. I mean, there are already... I, I'm flying on a, new, on a flight from Newquay, which is another part of the southwest of Britain. Mm-hmm. It's a little longer than the helicopter, but you can get there. It just is a bit of a hike. The easiest way, if you're coming from overseas, you fly into London, you get the train down to Penzance, a lovely long train ride through beautiful countryside, and then you hop the new helicopter from Penzance to St. Mary's. 
It will be a day's journey, but when you get there, you will feel like you're on another world. Mm. At by, least that's what everyone tells me. Yeah, by long, he means about eight and a half hours. The train will take you from London to Penzance. That's how lo- that's, like, that's how far away yeah, it is. And you long. think you can't travel that far in England and, and train, and, and you can when you're going to the end of Cornwall. Sure, but, but is it like a local it. train? It's 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 running through the countryside, very very small. Yeah, towns. but it's also it's a, just a great distance. Exactly, Cornwall is as far southwest as you can get. You know, when you say distances in the UK, you say Lands End to John O'Groats because Lands End in Cornwall is the farthest south, and John O'Groats in Scotland is the farthest north. So in Britain, that is the, a sort of marker. So if you're going from London there, but it's a lovely ride, and you can usually, I think, there's a sleeper train, one of the few sleeper trains left in Britain. So you could have a day in London, fly over from the US, arrive in the morning, day in London, hop on the train, sleep wake up in the British countryside, hop a flight or a helicopter, and then you're on these islands that will feel like you're going somewhere no one ever goes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on a huge UK love fest right now. I just got back from Scotland yeah. recently. And just this this sounds like such... It sounds, it sounds both like very UK because I found Scotland too is like very, very different from, you know, England, London has its own sort of way of being and the UK as a whole feels like that more than like a lot of parts of the United States, right? Like people, the United States is homogenized more, I guess, maybe is what I'm trying to say. Maybe not. Mm. You guys would have a different opinion because you've both lived there, spent more time there. You know what I think though? I just think England and the UK in general is so magical during summer. Like, and I don't think we give it enough credit because really it is so beautiful and green and lush because of all of the rain it gets throughout the year. And when the sun shines in the UK, it is, it's, it's really gorgeous. It goes crazy. It goes crazy. (laughs) It's like, it's like the Northwest, but on steroids, you know, in, in certain parts. And I don't think people consider the UK outside of London as much as they should when they're planning their European travels. Yeah, great point. Great point. So hopefully we inspired. Hopefully we inspired you, and I will let you know. You will see the story very soon. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to report back. Okay, thanks, you guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We do have all of these recommendations written up in our best places to visit this summer, and so you can find that there. The Women Who Travel podcast is going strong. Uh, We have a couple more episodes in the second season, so please subscribe to that. Check out what Lale and Meredith are doing. It's great stuff. And we are on Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. We are at CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please, as Mark was saying, do tweet at us. Send us your feedback. Let us know where you're going this summer, what you're excited about, and then report back to us after you get back, of course, in the fall. Mark, where can people get in touch with you? You can get in touch with me, as many people do, and I love it. We love hearing from you on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood with two L's. Aaron? Aaron underscore Florio on Instagram. And Laura? You can find me at Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and at Dannon825 on Twitter. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody, and happy travels. 